Well, welcome uh, to GoToMeeting. Uh, happy Sabbath to everyone. Uh, it is uh, indeed a blessing whenever we're able to come together and have fellowship in this way on the Sabbath. Uh, having this opportunity to speak to one another around the world and uh, fellowship in this way is truly a blessing of modern times, if you will. And, uh, you know, everything that God gives us can either be used for good or, or evil. Uh, truly, he has inspired uh, this uh, go-to meeting and setting as a blessing for the scattered brethren around the world. So thank you so much uh, for your prayers and continued uh, patronage, if you will. Uh, my message tonight, I've thought about it uh, in, an, in a lot of different ways in um, life behind the veil. I think we all agree that the high priesthood is a very, very important office within uh, God's plan for us, uh, both in the physical temple, as it were. Uh, let's take uh, as our first uh, scripture, let's go to um, Numbers 16. Let's take a look at something there. Um, number 16. In number 16, uh, God lays out um, something very clear for the people to understand in Israel. There was this uh, group of individuals who uh, wanted to assert themselves uh, in the priesthood. And I think this uh, this event demonstrates the seriousness of of the office and whose responsibility it is to appoint it. And it will just show us, uh, if you will, from God's perspective, how serious he is about his priesthood. Uh, verse one of 16. Now, Korah, the son of is his Ezar, the son of uh, Kuhath, the son of Levi took both Dathan and Nebram, sons of Elab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. Even they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the assembly, chosen men of the congregation, men who were well known. And they gathered themselves against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon your upon you since all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you lift yourselves up above the congregation of the Lord? And when you think about this verse and what was said there, maybe out of ignorance and not understanding, but by the time that God was done demonstrating the seriousness of what that office represented for him, I think all the people understood better. But I was thinking about that today as I was, uh, you know, reading the scripture, that this, these men were not only confronting Moses, who was called of God, uh, miracles, tremendous miracles demonstrated through, through him by God, this man having, uh, you know, who was able to see the backside of God and live. Um, here are these individuals rising up and speaking against him. So verse 4, and when Moses heard this, he fell on his face. He knew how serious it was. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, even at daybreak, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him, even him, uh, him whom he has chosen, will he cause to come near to him. Now, you know the story here in terms of what occurred. God demonstrated his power, Korah, and these men perished at God's uh, demonstration of that power for who uh, stood for him and who did not. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews Five Hebrews five, and let's look at a summary here. And again, if I took time to lay it out scripture by scripture across this entire subject matter, we'd be here for quite some time. 
I want to get to that part of the sermon which uh, the title uh, is focused on, and that is uh, that life behind the veil that we are all trying to access and need to access on a regular basis. In Hebrews 5, once again, thinking about of the seriousness of the office. It says, for every high priest being taken from among men to act on behalf of men is appointed to serve in the things pertaining to God in order that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now this is a serious, significant role which bridges, uh, serves as a bridge, if you will, between the people and God. Because the people were not able to just come before God because of sin. And as we know, God had, does not abide with sin. So uh, the high priest was a serious function there. In verse uh, 2, it says, And he is able to deal gently with those who sin in ignorance and those who have been led astray, since he himself is also encumbered with many weaknesses. And because of these weaknesses, he is obligated also to offer sacrifices for his own sins, exactly as he does for the people. Now, these demonstrations of sacrifices and, and, and various um, uh, rituals there at the temple were specific. They represented reality in, in so many ways. And so the, the, the methodical uh, exercise of these things as God instructed Moses indeed the temple itself was very important for the people to understand that relationship and the high priest is officiating it verse 4 it says now no man takes the honor of high priesthood upon himself as these men did their numbers but only he who is called by God in the same way as Aaron also was called. So uh, the priesthood is of God. He chooses. He chooses. And he chose Aaron and his house to officiate in that office. Very clear. In verse uh, 5 then, in the same manner also. And this is the uh, uh, contrast, uh, the comparison, if you will, that we're going to use in understanding the role of Christ in that very office today. Verse 5, in the same manner also, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, you are my son. And again, the house that he officiates over is the very house of God, his very own, um, the very own sons and daughters of God. He says, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And it says, verse 6, even as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, we know the story of Melchizedek meeting Abraham on his return from uh, uh, rescuing, if you will, Lot and recognize him giving tithes of all to Melchizedek. Therefore, even Aaron you know, um, gave tithes and offerings in the loins of Abraham to Melchizedek. So here is Christ. Here is Christ. And I know this is somewhat of an abbreviated uh, point here. But here is Christ officiating in the, after the order, according to the order of Melchizedek. Here, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh offered up both prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because he feared God. Although he was a son, yet he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And having been perfected, he became, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Now this is the faith that we stand in that Jesus Christ is the means by which we can access eternal life through him, in him, by him, and indeed, as the Father says, for him. 
And here, verse 10, and after he has been designated by God, by God as high priest. And brethren, we understand that the two in the God family here that's being described as God the Father and Jesus Christ. And I have said many, many times in sermons and, and, and discussions that go to me, that is a, it is a collaboration, it is a partnership, it is a joint operation between God the Father and Jesus Christ for the salvation of their creation. So let's read on here. So after he has been designated by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, concerning whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, as he was telling them, for truly by this time you ought to be teachers, but instead you need some, to have someone teach you again the beginning principles of the oracles of God and have become those in need of milk and not solid food. Now this, this is very important for us in reading that particular verse that we dedicate proper time proper investment of ourselves in time and prayer and commitment to God and in uh, studying his word and becoming familiar with his doctrines, his truth and his way so that we can walk in it so that we can understand that we're on the right path. Of course, we walk by faith. I'm not denying that what one bit whoever. If anyone thinks they can do it without God, that is an error. We need God in every step of the way, but we need to be solidly and completely secured in, in, in his word. And that takes study and that takes time and that takes dedication. And brethren, not just for ourselves, not just for ourselves, we also need to provide sufficient time uh, of study for our, for our family, for our children, for, for one another. And if you're in a family, a husband and wife, hopefully you're having study time together, that you're studying God's word and that you're utilizing the spirit of God within your home, within your mix, and you're training your children in this way and your family in this way. That is Bible study time, regular Bible study time and commitment there. And again, that's just, again, God wants us to, to have that, um, to be skilled in his word. And then verse 14, it talks about solid food is for those who are fully grown, who through repeated practice have had their senses trained. And that's by doing over and over. It becomes a way of life. It becomes instinctive in terms of how we live. Now, all of that is made possible by this incredible thing that our elder brother, and Savior did for us, and our elder brother and Savior is doing for us each and every day. So let's go back just for a minute to uh, Exodus 28 now. And we see that God will see that God did indeed appoint Aaron to this, to this office. Exodus 28. And just verse 1, it says, uh, and you shall take to yourself Aaron, your brother, speaking to Moses and about Aaron and his sons with him from among the children of Israel so that he may minister to me in the priest's office. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother. Now we're starting to put on the righteousness here in terms of the priestly garments and what they represent. Again, a fascinating study if you have time to do a study on the priestly garments and what they represent. And you shall make holy garments. They're holy for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all the um, wise hearted whom I have filled with the spirit. Uh, in preparing these holy garments, God gave extra measure of spirit to these individuals who are artisans so that every stitch would be meticulous. Every um, piece of apparel 
was properly prepared and, ble and, 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 um, and bleached, if you will. So we see the meticulousness of God's preparation of the temple, the priestly garments, all things laid in order. Now, that being said, again, take some time and do a study, do, do some study time uh, in the way that God has laid out the temple, every cup, every candle, every drop of oil, incense, all things, all things are representing something very, very holy in reality, as we will see. So once again, let's go now. Let's go to um, Numbers 19 real quick. Numbers 19. And as we look at um, the various um, services and so forth that are a part of the temple uh, uh, sacrifices and uh, temple uh, ceremonies. And um, Numbers 19 and verse, okay, verse um the verse six, number nineteen six, and the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and throw it into the midst of the burning uh, of one of the sacrifices, the heifer. Verse seven, then, this is where I want to focus. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in water. Again, representing the removal of sin or filth from the flesh. And after he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until sunset, even then. So this, these various things, let's go to Hebrews. Um, I think it does a better job. Let's go to Hebrews. Um, and let's pick it up in verse 10. Hebrews 9, verse 10. Hebrews 9, verse 10. Um, I'm going to go to the to the summarized version here as Paul presented it. Uh, Hebrews 9, verse 10. These services consist only of meat and drink offerings and various washings and physical ordinances imposed until the time of the new spiritual order. Again, um, verse 11. But Christ himself... But what these things foreshadowed, Christ himself has become high priest of the coming good things through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by human hands, that is, not of this present physical world, this physical creation, not by the blood of bulls and calves, but by the means of his own blood. He entered once for all into the holiest, having by himself secured everlasting redemption for us. Now, the order that we are currently under is under this new covenantal relationship. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are defiled, sanctified, sets apart for God's purpose, that is, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, to the temple, as it were, to the temple, to a far greater degree, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Now you understand when you read in the Gospel of John about him praying in the garden prior to being arrested, great drops of blood and his, his fierce commitment to fulfilling the purpose for which the Father sent him. And he recognized that that was for us. He recognized that what he was doing was for the salvation of mankind. And even more, that it would provide access to what we need to become spirit beings in God's kingdom. 
So let's see here what more we can learn from this. So to a far de greater degree, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, to God. So this offering of himself had to be accepted by the father. This is the wave sheet. After having um, died on the cross, three days and three nights resurrected, telling Mary, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the father. He ascends to the father as the wave sheath accepted by the father. Here, um, verse at the latter part of this verse, himself without spot to God shall purify, purify, make clean without guilt, no doubt. Your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We're not, we're not going to be held captive anymore, as we see here. Past, old, and any uh, past and old sin would be um, forgiven as it's repented of. In verse 15, for, and for this reason, it says, now we see what he did. Now let's see what he is doing. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. And a mediator he is. In, in, in order that through his death, which took place for the release of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called. Now we see a focus on the elect of God, the first fruits, those who have been called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So his work is securing access to salvation. But yes, he did a lot of work, and so must we. In faith, we are acting on what God is telling us to be true, that Jesus Christ is the means through him that we can, we can have access to eternal life, access to the Father. Verse 16 of Hebrews um, 9 here. Now, where there is a covenant, it is obligatory to bring forth a symbolic sacrifice to represent the death of the one who personally ratifies the covenant. Because a covenant is not ratified on only over the dead body, is ratified only over the dead sacrificial animals, since there is no way that it is legally enforced until the living ratifier has symbolically represented his death. And we have um, the sermon on truthofgod.org, you know, the contrasting and explaining and providing a deeper understanding of covenantal law. That covenantal law is set. It can't be changed. It can't be you know, uh, added to. So that is comforting in terms of the promise that Jesus Christ has made here. Now, verse 18, for this very reason, neither was the first covenant inaugurated without blood. Because after Moses had spoken every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and, and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book of the covenant itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. And in the same manner, he sprinkled the blood uh, with blood, the tabernacle too, and all the vessels of service. Again, cleansing them, all these things, in order to be properly used and accepted uh, even in the physical ritual, to represent the reality in heaven. Because within heaven, all is holy. Holiness dwells. Righteousness dwells. No sin. So these things have to represent the reality of what uh, that is in heaven. So verse 22, almost all things are purified with blood according to the law. Yes. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Very important to comprehend. Um, 
So verse 23, therefore, was indeed obligatory for the pattern of the heavenly things to be purified with the blood, uh, blood of these animals. But the things in the heaven themselves, as it is today where Christ dwells with the Father, with superior sacrifices than these. Now here's the, the key, verse 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made of human hands, which are mere copies of the true. Rather, Christ has entered into heaven itself. So that's where he is today, now, to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself many times, even as the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies year by year with the blood of others. For then it would be necessary for him to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, since, but now, once and for all, to the consummation of the ages. So this, this event from the foundation of the world, designed, orchestrated, being implemented by God, as it were, Elohim, which in, in, and one becoming the son, one um, being the father. This is a part of their work that they are doing, have done, and are doing for us now. He, verse, the latter part of that, verse 26, he has been manifested for the purpose of removing sins through his sacrifice of himself. In verse 27, inasmuch as it is appointed unto men wants to die, and after this the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear the second time without sin unto salvation to those who eagerly await him. So in order to be in this standing to receive it, without doubt, without fear, with a clean conscience. How do we get there? You know, so yes, we have Christ today, um, who is a critical part of this relationship that we have. And if, uh, Hebrews 3 and verse 1, Hebrews 3 and verse 1 says, Because of this, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of the faith we profess, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him, even as Moses was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of greater glory than Moses. Even as he who built the house has, more, has much more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. So we're seeing that this entire, all the holy days, center around an incredible um, plan that God the Father and Jesus Christ are orchestrating. Yes, they have helpers, they have ministering spirits, and they all have a role. But we understand the central point, as it were, and as it is, if you will. Verse 5, now on the one hand, Moses was faithful in all his house as a ministering servant for a testimony of those things which were going to be spoken afterwards. But on the other hand, Christ, Christ was faithful as the son over his own house. So Christ knows who we are. He knows his church. He knows those the Father has given him. And he is working for us and with us if we allow him. If we are yielding to him, if we are recognizing this incredible love that he has for us, this incredible love that the Father has for us, which I hope will be even clearer as we go on through. So uh, verse 6. But on the other hand, Christ was faithful as a son over his own house, whose house we are. If we are truly holding fast the confidence 
And this is it, brethren. Do not waver from your calling. Do not waver from your baptism. Do not waver from this faith that you have committed your life to. No one or nothing should get in the way of that. Nothing. And it is a personal journey between you and God spiritually. But yes, we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ and jointly we edify and lift each other up because we want all of us to be there. And God the Father wants all of us to be there. And he understands the value of unity in the spirit, unity in the faith, and the love of God being shared amongst the brethren. And we have that in God's church. So if we are truly holding fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end, for this reason... It says in verse 7 of Hebrews 3, even as the Holy Spirit says, to, says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the rebellion and the day of temptation in the wilderness. And you can read about that in Amos 5 also. For your fathers tempted me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Because of this, I was indignant with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they would enter into my rest. Well, we have part. We have a part to play here in being able to achieve and access that rest. And God tells us to be a mindful, beware, brethren, lest perhaps there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and apostatizing from the living God, not from, a, not from a church, not from a minister, not from some pet doctrine, but the living God who is in heaven, the most high God and our high priest, Jesus Christ at his right hand, and them leading us to themselves and giving us access to themselves so that we can have a relationship with God, not cut off anymore, not no more hostile, if you will. Uh, let's go to Ephesians 2 real quick. In Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2. It, it describes that condition without God. And we don't want to be in this state. So God has made it possible so that we could have access to that cleansing power that is his, to that mercy that is his. And where is he? As, as symbolized in the temple uh, sacrifices and access to the Holy of Holies. Um, verse 1. Now, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Each and every one of us were, were basically on death row. And what you walked in times past, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working within the children of disobedience, among whom also we all once had our conduct and the lust of our flesh doing the things will by the flesh and by the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest of the world. Now, we didn't know that until God called us, there's the calling, to comprehend that, using the Spirit of God. And then once we committed to this way, he gave us the Spirit within us. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, as I was describing earlier, this incredible love of God with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. You see, brethren, this scripture is true, for you have been saved by grace. That calling was by grace. You are part of God's first fruits by grace. You have this opportunity to qualify for the kingdom of God by grace. And the question is, do you value it? Do we value it? And how much value do we put in it? Will we let something get in the way of us and that relationship with God? 
I should say no. And he says, um, verse 6, and he raised us up together and has caused us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages that are coming, the people will see the first fruits resurrected and glorify God. Verse 7, so that in the ages that are coming, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is grace. It is uh, a wonderful opportunity that we have been given, a gift. Yes, we were, as that first verse says, dead and trespasses and sins. And God woke us up and pulled us out of the mire. And he's given us a chance for royalty at the very in the very kingdom of the sovereign God. He is aware of us even now. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and especially not of your own selves. It is the gift of God, not of your own words, so that no one may boast. And I do mean no one. No one can boast. For we are his workmanship if we're yielding to him and allowing him to work in us. If we're not stiff necked, if we're malleable, if we're fasting, if we are you know, yielding. Being created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God ordained beforehand in order that we might walk in them. This is the way, brethren. This is the way for mankind originally designed to be a part of this way. Anyone going contrary to this way that we're walking in and we're walking in it by faith. We know the word of God is true. We have God's Holy Spirit and we're comprehending it and we are applying it in our lives and we are holding fast. Verse 11, therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by those who are called circumcision in, um, in the flesh made by hands. And at that time, you were without Christ. No access to life within the veil. You were without Christ at that time. You were alienated, not only not even able to access life behind the veil, but you didn't even know that there was a temple. You didn't even know that there was a court. You didn't even know that there is a God who requires of you something until God turned that light on, truly turned that light on in our life. We were without Christ at that time. We were alienated, verse 12, from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, that's the nation that God chose to reveal himself to. And he made himself known in powerful ways to these people. And he um, showed great signs and wonders over and over again. He uh, cried out, I am the Lord, your God. Have no other gods before me. Put no trust in idols. And on and on. So the strangers, being strangers from the covenant of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. And as I said in a Bible study recently, this is a horrible condition to be in for any human being made in the image of God to be cut off without hope, without God in this world. But we have God, brethren. We are of God. So we have something to rejoice in. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition, having annulled in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments containing the decrees of men so that in himself he might create both into one new man making peace and that he might reconcile both to who? To God. God the Father in one body in God, Elohim, in one body through the cross, having slain the enmity by it. Now when he came, he preached the gospel 
peace to you who are far off and those who are near. For through him, brethren, we both have direct access, not just to the temple, by one spirit to the Father. Now that's power, brethren. That is power that we have access to the sovereign God, his very own throne, so that you are, verse 19, so that you are no longer aliens and foreigners. Nobody in God's church who is called of God can be called any longer an alien or a foreigner or a stranger or someone who is cut off from God. This is the faith that we stand in. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God, not stepchildren, not adopted children, the very sons and daughters of God, begotten of God. You are being built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building is being conjointly fitted together, is increasing into a holy temple in the Lord. So this is the house that Christ officiates over, in whom you, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the spirit. So God within us individually, God within us, his church, his house, his family, God wants to dwell with us. So, yes, we have Christ. And, and we know that, that blood is required, but not of bulls and goats, but of, of Christ himself. So Christ is, is the key here. Sacrifice. And uh, he is both, as I've said, sacrifice and priest. He is officiating here. Let's go to Luke. Let's look at some scriptures in the New Testament here for our remaining time. Um, Luke, first chapter, verse 67. And Zacharias, his father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and has worked redemption for his people. And he and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, exactly as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Salvation from our enemies, that includes Satan, the devil, and the demons, and from the hands of all those who hate us, to fulfill the promise of mercy made to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that being saved from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear. A good conscience, walking in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. But whose righteousness is that? That is the righteousness of Christ applied to us. Verse 76 and you, little child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. He was that prophet. For you shall go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways to give the knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the deep inner compassion of our God, this great love that he has for us, this great plan that he has prepared for us. The compassion of God in which the day spring from on high has visited us to shine upon those who are sitting in darkness so that we can come out of that darkness and in the shadow of death um, to direct our feet in the way of peace. So God is with us. We are of God. God dwells in us. He guides our way. He leads our step converts our heart, circumcises our heart, write his, our minds and heart, writes his laws within us, and we are his children. And verse 80, and the, and the little child grew and was strengthened in spirit 
and was in the wilderness until the day of his appearing. Now, this is um, this is um, um, John the Baptist, if you will. But um, we have um, well, we have John the Baptist announcing his arrival, if you will. So let's go to um, let's go to First John now, First John seven, First John seven, uh, verse First John one verse seven, First John chapter one verse seven. He says, however, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his own son, cleanses us from all sins. So all of this is made possible by the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And that, that propitiation for sin that he provides, if you will. Let's go to Romans 1. Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 4. Who was declared the son of God. This is the uh, verse three concerning his son who came from the seed of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power. Verse four, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations in behalf of his name in whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. And this is our calling as well. Let's go to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews, book of Hebrews, and chapter 6. Hebrews 6. And then uh, verse, Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, advancing beyond the beginning principles of the doctrines of Christ, we should go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith in God, of the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And we'll do this if indeed God permits. For it is impossible for those who, have once, who were once enlightened and who personally obtained the heavenly gift, which we have, brethren, and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and who have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they have fallen away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they are crucifying the son of God for themselves and are publicly holding him in contempt. I go back to the point of faith in our walk with God, not wavering nor being turned to the left or to the right. But straight is the way, you see. Um, let's go to Hebrews 10.22 now. 10.22. Let us approach God with a true heart. A true heart with full conviction of faith. Because, you see, brethren, this, this relationship that we are in, and we see the sacrifice of Christ and its application to us, if we're in this covenant relationship with God and we're doing the things the right way, then there is no doubt. We know that God will help us for we're weak, but we strive with all of our might, but we know that we can't be perfected in the flesh, but God perfects us in Christ. He helps us to overcome and put sin out of our life. He allows us to have a journey and a way of life. It isn't religious ceremony. It is how we live and how we think. And all of that is made possible um, through the sacrifice that Christ made and the access that he gives us. So, uh, verse 23, let us hold fast without wavering the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another 
we're not, not just trying to get there ourselves. We recognize that we have to help one another in this journey. But we're, and if we see one sinning not a sin unto death, we try to encourage that and, and get rid of, to get rid of that, to repent and to, to change that and to go before God in repentance, seeking forgiveness, asking God to remove that. We understand that stirring up one another unto love and good works, verse 24, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, not giving up and not even wanting to fellowship or have Sabbath services or come together on the holy days, even as some are accustomed to do, but rather encouraging one another. All the more as we see the day drawing near. Yes, we're getting excited about the fall holy days. We know what they represent. They represent in God's plan. And yes, we should be excited. And we are excited for one another. So that's, that's where we should continue uh, to put our trust in our, in our faith. So there is truly, brethren, only one winning program. And God has called each and every one of us to have access to it and be a part of it now. Uh, let's go to Second Peter. Second Peter. In verse one. Chapter one, verse one. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have been a who have obtained the same precious faith as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and his um, in Jesus Christ, our Lord, according as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, through which he has given to us the greatest and most precious promises, and that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. For this very reason, having applied all diligence besides, add to your virtue, to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control endurance, and to endurance godliness, and to godliness, brotherly love, and to brotherly love, the love of God. For if these things exist and abound in you, they will cause you to be neither lacking effort nor lacking fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, knowledge of uh, Christ, knowledge of the Father. Christ is our salvation and our hope. Let's go to Hebrews one more time. Pick up something here in chapter 10. And verse 14. So here we have it somewhat summarized again. For by one offering, he has obtained eternal perfection for those who are sanctified. And that's our calling. Sanctified, set apart for God's purpose. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after he had previously said, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord, I will give my laws into their hearts and I will inscribe them in their minds and their sins and lawlessness. I will not uh, remember ever again. So God takes that away and cleanses us. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation 4, let's take a look at something. 1 John, uh, I mean, John 1, um, you know, 1 through 5, clearly define that Christ came into the world to bring life. He accomplished this mission. Life is accessible with the Father in the throne room where Christ dwells. 
We're not going to a physical temple. We're not worried about a curtain that divides because it was torn, split through the very flesh of Christ himself. Access is granted. So here's a, here's a look into the throne room. Revelation 4, after these things, I looked and behold, a door opened in heaven. And the first voice that I heard was as of a trumpet were speaking with me and saying, come up here and I will show you the things that must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one was sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was in the appearance like a jasper stone and a sardis stone, and a rainbow was around his throne, like an emerald in its appearance. And around the throne were 24 elders. And on the thrones, I saw 20, um, were 24 thrones, and on the thrones were 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and they had on their heads golden crowns. And proceeding from the throne were lightnings and thunders and voices, Seven lamps of and seven lamps of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven spirits of God were burning before the throne and before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal and around the throne and over the throne were four living creatures full of eyes before and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion second and the second living creature was like a bull. The third living creature like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings, respectively. Let's go ahead. Um, well, let's, let's finish that. Respectively, and around and within, they were full of eyes. And day and night, they ceased not saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanksgiving to him who sat on the throne, who lives into the ages of eternity, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and they worshiped him who lives into the ages of eternity, casting their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power because you did create all things. And here's an, a very important ver part of this verse. And for you will they, uh, and for your will, they were created and exist. Now let's go to chapter five. In his right hand of him who sat on the throne, I saw a book written within and on the back, which had been slain, uh, had been, seal the seven seals then i saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose his seals but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look inside of it and this again um made john sad so he says i was weeping greatly because no one was found worthy to open the and read the book or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, now this is in the throne room of God in heaven. He says, do not weep. Behold, the lion who is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who overcame to open the book and to loose his seals and seven seals. And so we have Jesus Christ stepping forward to fulfill his, his destiny, if you will, his, um, his purpose. And then you can go on to read there. Um, and let's, but let's go to, um, well, let's go on to verse six. Then I saw and behold before the throne and the four living creatures and before the elders were standing a lamb as having been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that are sent throughout the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Here is Christ at the right hand of God the Father, taking the book out of his right hand. 
And when he took the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one having the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to open its seals because you were slain and did redeem us to our God, to God, by your own blood, out of every tribe and language and people and nation, and did not and did make us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So we see where that life is. It's in Christ. It is behind the veil. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll, we'll sum up here. So here it says, since, for, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great throngs of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entraps us, and let us run the race before us with endurance, having our minds again, brethren, fixed on Jesus, the beginner and finisher of our faith, who it, for the joy that lay ahead of him endured the cross, although he despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here, brethren, it says, meditate deeply on him who endured such a great hostility of sinners against himself so that you do not become weary and faint in your minds. Do not yet resist it to the point of losing blood in your struggle against sin. And you have already forgotten the admonition that he addresses to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor grow weary of being reproved by him. For from for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and severely disciplines. So if if you endure chastening, God is dealing with you as a father with his sons. For who, for who is the son whom the father doesn't chasten? But if you are without chastisement, of which all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Now, here, verse um, 12, therefore, he says, lift up the hands that are hanging down and revive the weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned aside, but let it rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest you fall from grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and through this many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or godless person as Esau, who for a meal sold his birthright. Because you also know that afterwards he want, he, when he wished to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. There was no room and he found no room for repentance, though he sought it earnestly with tears. So here is where we are today. Verse 18. For you have not come to the mount that could not be touched and that burned with fire, nor to the gloominess and the fearful dark, darkness and the whirlwind and to the sound of the trumpet, and to the voice of, of the words, which those who heard begged that the word not be spoken directly to them. For they could not endure what was being commanded. And if even an animal touched the mountain, it would be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight, Moses said, I'm greatly afraid and troubled and trembling. But we have access before God the great sovereign God, the most powerful God, who loves us and has demonstrated that love. Verse 22, you've come to Mount Sion, to the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the joyous festival gathering, to the church of the firstborn, registered in the book of life, in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, 
into the spirit of the just who have been made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkling of the blood of ratification proclaiming superior things than that of Abel. We have access, brethren, through that righteousness, through that grace, through that perfection, which is applied to us, imputed to us, so that we can stand before the Father just as Christ is in heaven, righteous, acceptable, and the sons and daughters of the living God. So life within the veil is made possible by the one who died on the cross, Jesus, the Savior of mankind.